0: hello everybody welcome as we continue on in our study of the new testament this is uh part number 237 so uh we've been at it for four and a half years uh the study of the new testament we're making great ground we're actually in uh, the book of revelation finally we're in revelation chapter three and so we'll we'll probably finish revelation right around the end of the year there'll be early part of next year and then we'll Start with our Old Testament study. I've been telling you to get ready for that. We'll start in Genesis sometime in the New Year. New year and then that's about a 15-year run. So uh, 2000 and if we start in 2015, we'll be done in 2030. And then, God willing, we'll start with the New Testament again. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll do something different. I don't know. But still, we're planned ahead for the next 15 and a half years. That's good. Um, I know where I'll be, unless unless I'm not. Okay. Um, so we're in the Book of Revelation now. Revelation is a fascinating study. Remember we've we've talked about the uh, the Book of Revelation up to now and and uh, the introduction. We know it was written by the uh, the Apostle John. Um, it was a revelation given to him by Jesus. Uh, he's writing things down as Jesus is letting him know about them. Um, the, uh, we believe the events you know the first chapter was what he was seeing then and now he's writing to the churches that existed at the time in chapters 2 and 3 at least that's where I'm going to take the study from other people believe differently then from chapter 4 on we believe those are future events um, if you don't quite believe it that way that's okay uh, there's, there's ways to interpret it that are very solid and um, steady by many good theologians that believe that uh, um, in lots of different ways they, a lot of people believe these two chapters we're in now are talking about church eras uh, or church periods, and that uh, um, that it sort of marks the passage of the church through time, and that we are actually now the Laodicean church, uh, the lukewarm church. That's uh, you know, and that it's just before Jesus comes back. Some people interpret it that way. Um, uh, there's lots of different ways to look at. It. Some people believe that all of the events in Revelation have already taken place; that it was all happening and written about in John's lifetime. Uh, and is about the roman empire and the things and events of the days um, that's that's another way people look at it um, i said as i told you i hold more of a futuristic view which is we are um, uh, waiting for events to unfold beginning in chapter four and we'll start looking at that next week and what that looks like and then there's lots of ideas about uh, and even we'll touch on some of the verses today about you know how we fit into that as the church and what that looks like and, all the things we're waiting for. Um, so as we move into next week in chapter 4 and on, there's a lot more uh, symbols and stuff that we um, we have to take uh, some, some sort of educated guesses about, or we may just not because we don't know. Um, uh, and yet I've said to you, and this is very important, when you look at Revelation, remember that the book is primarily this revelation of, of Jesus Christ and that we can learn about Him in the book and that the promises are that if we'll read this book, that we'll be blessed. It's, it's, it's a neat book with a promise. And so um, always try and relate this uh, wherever you can. To how it impacts your life today and what that looks like and what you're encouraged about it and, and what that does. And the, it's a book of hope. You know, Jesus coming back is a very hopeful thing. It's what we're waiting for. Uh, and yet some people read this and they start to get fearful and all the other things. And, um, I, you know, remember when, when John first encounters Jesus in Revelation 1 um, and they were close, intimate friends. Uh, you know, J- John was the one who at the last supper leaned his head against the chest of Jesus I mean they were intimate friends very close and yet when he sees him now you know 60 years later in this revelation it says John just hits the deck like a dead person um, because Jesus looks differently you know and I I said the book of Revelation will challenge your image of Jesus you know his hair was white and his blazing eye I mean it was just and he went and and, but I love this part because it's important because Jesus said hey John it's me you're okay I got you you don't need to be afraid and and He he says the same thing to you. I got you. You don't need to be afraid. It's me. It's good. I'm coming. And uh, it may not look as cleaned up as we've made it with our ideas influenced by movies and all sorts of other stuff, but it's good. And so always hold on to that when you're thinking about it. The Jesus come back is a good thing and always will be. So I'm hold those sort of thoughts in in intention now as we look, uh, continue on today in chapter 3. Um, Chapters 2 and 3 are this this letter to these seven churches that Jesus dictates to John to pass to the the churches. All these churches existed at this period in time. They were all sort of on a a, a route where a letter carrier would have followed in order, leaving from... Patmos, where where John was, and where this took place, right around through, and and uh, you know they, they, the direction they would have gone to Ephesus first, and that was where the first letter was written, or the first part of the letter, then to Smyrna, then to Pergamum, then to Thyatira, and so we looked at those four in chapter two last week. This week, um, we're just going to take a few minutes, and we'll talk about these next three churches: Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, and and uh, and so each one of these churches also gets uh, a you know but jesus speaking to them to the leaders of those churches uh um he most of the five of the churches get sort of an at-a-boy or at-a-girl when they get started um and uh and that two of them don't at all um many of them catch a rebuke but not all of them because you know jesus will say you're doing this good but you're not doing this good and, but there's a couple we've seen that uh um, that didn't get a they, they just got a hey you're doing great and there was no rebuke uh, you know at all uh, in uh, Smyrna they got one of those they were hanging tough during their persecution and that was good but you'll see that they sort of get mixed up but most of them uh, you know get sort of a, here's what you're doing good and here's what you need to work on and here's how you need to work on it um, but a couple are just not even worth it you know it's not that they're worth it. Jesus loves them but he's saying this is really bad you got to straighten it up and they've sort of missed their good stuff and and uh, um, Sardis is one of those churches that sort of catches uh, you guys. Uh, they, he, he says they're spiritually dead. Major, major deal. So let's pick up the action in Revelation 3. I'll read the 22 verses to you, and then we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. To the angel of the church, remember that word could be messenger or leader, um, uh, of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And that's Jesus. I, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Blessed be the word of the Lord. That's Revelation chapter 3. So three churches are written to, and um, like I said, Jesus is is uh, telling. I'm on it. <laughs> the first part of the letter in chapter 3, this is, now the, so this is church number 5, is Sardis. And uh, the church in Sardis Jesus says, is spiritually dead. And even though it had a reputation for being active, so that the thing is it still looked pretty good, but, but they, had, they had spiritually died out. They, they were no longer doing um, the things that they needed to do to experience the full and abundant life that they should have in, in Christ. The church had become infested with sin and uh, was an appearance thing only and had lost its way completely. And so the church in Sardis does not get a commendation. They don't get a good thing at all from Jesus. He just looks at him and says, you're spiritually dead. And if you don't wake up, that's what he tells them to do. If you don't wake up, you're done. Um, so he's holding out a, a chance to them to repent, to turn, which he always does. But he says, you, you're, you're done um, if you don't wake up. And yet he says, and, and this is good news, that, that there are a few, you know, faithful believers in the mix, and he encourages them. And so um, I think that that's true of God, that that, uh, oftentimes, even in its bleakest history, the people of God, um, there's always been a remnant. I was thinking about, when I was reading about this, I was thinking about Elijah um, in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings, when he does battle with uh, all the false prophets of uh, Jezebel and Ahab, uh, who were the king and queen of Israel. Israel had completely fallen away. From God, they were worshiping Baal full on and full out, and um, had all these false prophets in place. And uh, Elijah goes to battle with them in Mount Carmel. If you know the story, and Mount Carmel is the is sort of the um, high place of Baal. Surely that you know Baal is going to. You know, win and be victorious there. And yet God shows up in a miraculous way and burns up the offering, you know, from heaven that, that Elijah had covered in water. And all the false prophets are put to death. And then, and then Jezebel says, You know, Elijah, I'm going to get you. And he freaks out and he runs off. And, and, uh, and God meets with him there. And, and in their discussion, Elijah says to God, You know, you might as well just take me because I'm the only one left. I mean, it's just me. And God looks at him and says, Elijah, I love you, buddy, but it ain't just you. And he says, I got Elisha outside, and you go and get him, and he'll hang with you for a while. And I've got 7,000 more that are I've watched over that have never bent the knee and, uh, uh, you know, turned away. And so you're, you're not alone. And, and so a lot of times in situations, I think when we begin to think, you know, there's, it's, it's, you know, there's, not, there's always a remnant that's, uh, that's hard after God. And even in Sardis, a church that had died spiritually um, there were still some there who were faithful and, and Jesus encourages them to press on you're going to be with me uh, even though the church has fallen you know, apart you, you you just keep pressing on in what you need to do so uh, I think that's a good thing uh, for, for us to hang on to okay then the next church is the church of Philadelphia that's not the Philadelphia that we're aware of by the way just so you know <laughs> um popular name for cities there's been a lot of philadelphia it's the city of brotherly love you most of you probably will know that if you know anything about philadelphia that's what it means and and, uh this philadelphia was uh, like i said on that journey it was located in a sort of frontier spot of uh, asia minor And, and um the, um, the people of Philadelphia played a vital role really in the whole, um, that whole area of Asia Minor because they sort of were responsible for um, beating back the barbarians as they were known whenever they would attack this was, they would have to come through Philadelphia and Philadelphia managed to consistently beat them back and uh, they also sort of were, were very um, important in bringing in Greek culture and, and uh, language into the region and the church there was a great church um, and it was commended for its faithfulness, and, and um, no rebuke was given to it. So that's a, that's good on that list. They're just, Jesus is like, faithful, you guys are awesome, and I got nothing bad. That, isn't that cool? Now, in the church age, they would say that that was the church just before us. The people that believe in that, that the missional church, the you know, the, the church of the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, all the missionaries going out and all the stuff that they did, that, that was that church, Philadelphia. And then um, as the church following them, we sort of slipped away from that and now we're the Laodicean church. <laughs> that's that's what people believe. I don't. I think each, each these were churches that existed. They were dealing with... The same things that we deal with in churches today, and that, that they teach us you know, what we need to do. And if we see situations in the church, he, he tells us, you know, this is what you need to do go back to these things, do these things, stop doing those things, repent, obey, follow, and, and that we can learn from those things, not only as a church, but as, as um, people. That we might see ourselves in some of these positions, you know, things that we had uh, done. And we'll, we'll look at that at the end of our study today. But, you know, I think if you had to pick one, Philadelphia would be the brotherly love, that's that's really good. When you're loving others well and faithful and obeying the Word of God, boop, that's good stuff. That's what we want. Um, the key of David that's talked about there, just picking up another symbol, represents the authority of Jesus to open the door into the kingdom of God for people, which is what he does. He makes a way for us uh, into the kingdom of God um, at the cross. And so he has the authority to to do that. It was his mission. The kingdom of God is here, he said. And he was... You're talking about what he was about to do to make that happen so that we could access that kingdom, to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the marvelous light of the kingdom of God. Verse 10 is one of those verses that that people um, read and then have totally different opinions on. Verse 10 says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, some people believe that verse says, where it says, I will protect you from this great time of testing, means that um, that there will be a time of tribulation in the future from which believers will be spared. Um, and and um, many people believe that that's where the... It's called the rapture. It's not a biblical word. Where the, where the catching up or the taking away takes place. And so that the church doesn't go through that season. Um, that's what some people believe. And I, I, it's actually... Pretty good belief, and we'll be looking at that starting in chapter four. Something changes; there's a big shift in everything at chapter four. And also, at some point in our study, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce again the idea of the seven feasts of Israel because I think it ties in with this very well. Um, and what happens, and that 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 not being there has something to do with feasts six and seven. But we'll look at that in the future. All right. So um, five, six, and seven, because five, the next, you know, we. We've looked at, you know, just going back to the feasts of Israel, but but Jesus fulfilled three, and at Pentecost was number four. The Holy Spirit fulfilled that. We're waiting on for the next one, the big harvest, fall harvest feast. And that's when a trumpet sound when the harvest is over. And, and then we all go and worship God. Well, it's very possible that that feast is talking about chapter four in Revelation as well. And the church's harvest is over. And then the last couple of... Uh, feasts have to take place and they don't include us because the next one is judgment and we've already been through that in christ um so anyway you know we our sin is covered so we don't catch that judgment we get um we catch this time where where it's about what we've what uh what we did with the you know the the blessing of being a christian but it's it's not about whether or not we're in the book of life so anyway we'll talk about that as we go so uh Um, So some people believe that's what that's talking about. Other people look at that same verse and they mean that the church will go through all that period of revelation and yet God will keep them strong in the midst of it. Some people believe that's what that means, that He's going to be with them as they go through it. So, um, and again, there's fairly good scripture for that process too. Uh, I told, you know, three views on... if. Three views within the futurist view that all this stuff is about to happen. That either the church isn't here for any of the seven-year tribulation period or the church is here for half of it or the church is here for all of it. And there's fairly good um, Bible for all three responses. So we'll, we'll dig into that. We'll talk about it. We'll go from there. Um, and then the last church, verses 14 through 22 in these letters, Laodicea. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. Um, it was known for... Its, it was a banking center. It was a manufacturer of wool, um, Laodicea always had water problems in the city and what they had was uh, about five miles outside of the city they had a, there was a hot spring and they had figured out uh, how to bring that water into the city and uh, when it left the hot spring and traveled that five miles you see a lot of this stuff is relating to what's going on when it, when it got there it wasn't cold, it was lukewarm so the the writer Jesus is using things that they will know. They were also known the Laodiceans for this eye ointment that they had uh, that they sold all over the world that was supposed to be very healing and stuff. And so that pops into the letter too because you, you, they think they're all they've really got it all in all. You know what I mean? And he goes, "You need some you need some ointment from Jesus uh, because you're not seeing at all because they were they had gotten." Um, this church had gotten very arrogant, and and, uh, they thought they were all, you know, because of their wealth and their success, that they they had all they needed, and they they didn't need um, Jesus anymore. And so they get rebuked for being lukewarm. Um, He says, you're not hot, you're not cold, and you should be one or the other, because lukewarm is about the worst thing that you can be. Because when you go to lukewarm, you're uh, you know it means you're half-hearted you, you're complacent you're wishy-washy you're sort of following God halfway but it's not wholehearted it has no impact on you or on anybody else and you know it's a label that people wear and it's, it, it does not please God at all he either wants us to be hot or he'd rather you know we, we go cold so that we can get hot again but to fall in the lukewarm is just he just it, you know the, the, the picture is he, he sort of wants to vomit us out at that point um because that's how it feels. You know, it's like it it's just has no impact. So it's not good. And, I, you know, I think lukewarm would be, um, you know, the enemy's sort of hope. Um, what, what he tries to get with people all the time is complacent and not having impactful lives. It doesn't mean that they're not, you know, in. Um, it just means that they're not living missionally and having an impact on the world around them. And, and it's not the heart of God. Uh, and uh, generally that happens. What's happening to them is people get more concerned about the temporal than the eternal. That's the shift that makes... Um, that's where they go to. And it's not a good place to live. It's not, no matter what's going on. And then he, he goes on, he says that Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts. He does that because he wants to save us and have fellowship with us. But I like that, that he knocks. He doesn't break the board down. He doesn't barge in. He says, you know, we have to respond to what he's doing. And, and uh, that's very good. And, and so we choose whether or not we'll open up and pour up our hearts and our, our lives in him, if, we, if that's how we're going to live or not. And that's where we find life. And so, you know, from the seven churches, the questions that you should ask yourselves are, you know, what can, what can you learn from what's taking place and apply them in your own walk? And, you know, I think from the first church, obviously, you know, one of the, are we motivated by love still? Do we, are we hanging on to our first love? Um, because I think that can, that can um, start to wane if we're not careful. I think many of us, uh, when you come in and know Christ, there's something initially there for for many of us, and that over time, just the difficulties of life and the, the the you know the the disappointments of life and the hardness of living here can cause that love to sort of you know ebb. And uh, Jesus says, you know, you need to remember that, and that's where you need to live. That's where you find life. And I think it's a good question to ask: um, Are we staying faithful in the midst of difficulties? That's what you know. A couple of the churches had issues there. You know, things were hard. Are, are they? Are we faithful? Are we obedient? Um, do we still believe in doing it God's way? Or do we want to do it our way? Uh, You know, these are questions that we need to ask in areas of our life. Are we compromising the truth for convenience sake? Is it easier? Uh, You know, is it, is it, is that how we want to live? This is a good question. Um, Have we become lukewarm? You know, uh, you you don't want to live lukewarm. It's it's like the worst possible condition you can get yourself into. So, I mean, I I believe Jesus says, I think lukewarm is worse than cold. Uh, If you go cold, you'll probably move out in a bad enough direction that you'll realize it's stupid and you'll turn back on again. Uh, But lukewarm, you can kind of just flatten out there. You can, you can get yourself really in big trouble. So, so those are some thoughts and ideas. Like I said, next, next chapter, things to take a Now from chapter 4, we're looking at things in the future, I believe. And so there's a lot of symbols in there that we're not even sure because John was talking about future events that he couldn't even imagine. He couldn't even... He, couldn't even des- he didn't know how to describe what he was seeing because they were off in the future. And, you know, think about 2,000 years ago and how different it is now and trying to describe you know, from where his point of view was to some of these things that haven't happened yet. I mean, it's fascinating. So we hold those in context as we go. But that's enough for this week. We'll pick it up in chapter four next week. You should probably read ahead to have an idea where we're heading. If you're watching on video or television, thank you very much. Appreciate your time doing that. Uh, I'd love to have you visit us when you get a chance. But we're going to stop that recording now. Good.